this is Catherine McLeod, and you are listening to Walk Left, the podcast. And I'm Marty Chidori. Thanks for joining us. Catherine. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. I'm excited to talk a little bit about your uh, 2013 Toronto Fringe show, mm-hmm. My High Healed Life, or how I learned to keep worrying and love my stilettos. Yes. Did I you miss got that it. No, I, okay. you got it perfectly. Right. Word been, for I've, word. I've been practicing. <laughs> um, you are, you entered uh, the fringe lottery, not mm-hmm. not in the Ontario category. No. It, well, it's interesting. So I grew up in Vancouver. I'm not from here. I lived here for a couple of years and I currently live in New York. I've been living there for five years. Five years. Before that, I was in Seattle and before that, I was in California. So they told me to, to enter in the national category as a Canadian citizen living abroad. So, and I was waitlisted up until the very last day. So it was all... A very exciting kind of last minute <laughs> endeavor. So what was the appeal of the Toronto Fringe? A couple of things. I did the Fringe here when I lived here, you know, this was like maybe seven or eight years ago. And I really liked it. I liked the the sort of size and variety of the festival. I think it, from what I understood at the time, at least, it was fairly well supported in terms of, you know, the venues are all quite great and there was a good community, which I liked. And then... It actually, I was sort of sitting on this show that I had started developing, but not really developed, and then sort of was trying to figure out what to do with it next. And my director is based here, so it sort of made sense. It was like, well, we'll apply to Vancouver and Toronto because those are places where I know people and I have a little bit of a community and it's, I have places to stay. It's easy for me to get to, and then we'll see how it goes this year, and then hopefully... In the next couple of years, branch out, look at Edmonton, look at, I mean, Edinburgh would be amazing at some point. We'll see how, how that goes. It's a little more ambitious <laughs> logistically sure. and artistically. So yeah, so that was why. And I was sort of hoping, I'm, I'm hoping to spend more time up here. I love New York, but there is something really wonderful about just being back home, <laughs> you know, and being able to have a little bit more of a lifestyle and be able to, to have more of a, I mean, I hate work-life balance. I think that's just kind of a BS term, but it is, I, I see that more here than in New York. So that's sort of appealing. All right. Well, let's, let's dig in then Okay. <laughs> to your show. You know, it's, I gotta say, as a heterosexual male, mm-hmm. the title does not jump out at me as a must-see. No, but... <laughs> and that's, that's why we have legs all over the poster. <laughs> We're hoping like, well, the subject matter might not be thrilling, but maybe someone will take a look at those legs and want to come and see it. Well, you're honest, and I you appreciate know, that. Um, no, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm just kidding about that. I mean, well, I don't I mean, even know if I'll leave that in. I have to say, like, you know, you know, I mean, to be a, a total hypocrite, a solo play is already like a big red flag for me as as a viewer and then like a solo play by a woman is like a yikes so i understand why that might not be the thing that like is getting the all the young dudes out but i think i mean of course like the play is about women and it's about high-heeled shoes but i think more than that what i really am interested in in going after with the audience or, or asking them to think about is do we have to apologize for the things that bring us joy and like, I, I'm kind of done with it. I don't want to have to apologize for those things anymore. Whatever that is. For me, it happens to be really fabulous, extravagant shoes. And for somebody else, it might be their, you know, like NASCAR or their football habit or whatever it is that is seen as sort of 
frivolous or that sort of carries a kind of meaning about who you are as a person that doesn't necessarily ring true. It just happens to be something that you really love. So that's kind of what I think the appeal to the audience, if they, if I can get them in, to a wider audience is. It's not necessarily about, you know, let's all talk about shoes and women. It's like, let's sort of, it's a conversation about the things that make, that bring us joy, the way that we make it through an increasingly complicated world. You just, you just, and, you just flipped the script on me there. You're like, no, it's, it's about your own prejudices, man. Well, no, 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 not at all. I mean, not, not at all. Although I think that that is sort of the, t- that, you know, one hopes, I hope in the writing, that is kind of the takeaway. And I, and I think I cop to my own hypocrisy too, in that I, if it was a, if, if the, the script was flipped and the show was called, you know, my, obsession with race cars i would be like oh get me out of here you know but it could be sort of a similar investigation i don't know you're just telling me to keep an open mind man yeah <laughs> keep an open mind i mean it is a fringe show so it's oh, like yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah i'm just i know I'm i know i know tell me a, a bit about the story the history of the show or the 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 Both. plot give me, okay, give so, me the history of the well, show i can first. tell you the development sure. so at the university of washington in your second and third year of the mfa program you had to write solo plays and the first year we did it in our second year of training it was ten, a 10 minute play and then the, the second year it was a 20 minute play and it could be sort of you could take the first one you did and then expand it and rework it or you could do something totally different so my first year was like a total debacle I mean, it was just, it was like, I'm not going to do anything on stage that has meaning to me or that is personal or that is hard. And so somehow I managed to write a 10 minute play that was all meaningful, all personal, all really hard, artistically a mess. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't as bad as I think it was. But the second year, because I had done that the first time, it was sort of, you know, I threw it all out there. I was playing a million crazy characters. It was about my upbringing. And the second year I was like, okay, so I've done that. So now I can just like do what I want. I've run from the fear and in running from it, like faced it head on. And so I can just do what I want. And I had no idea what that was, except for I was really tired. <laughs> a certain classmate of mine was reading The Secret and I was really <laughs> tired of hearing about it. And I was like, I just want to write a show about why I think The Secret is bull. And I really want to write a show about high heels. And my advisor was like, why don't you see if you can write a show about that together? So that's what I did. And it was 20 minutes and it was, I, I had a great time and it was just, you know, me talking, storytelling and kind of long form monologue. And then I didn't, you know, I did that. It was great. It was school ended. I didn't touch it. I didn't look at it for three and a half years. And then it was like, well, I'm not doing anything. I was kind of unemployed and there was a solo festival in New York. So I pulled it out and brushed it up and did it there. And it went okay. It didn't go as well as it went the first time because it just wasn't as fresh. But there was still a little something there, there. And a good friend of mine down in New York directed it. But the the man who's directing it now, my mentor had come to see it and was like, you know, you should really consider doing a little bit of rewriting and expanding this into a full length. And so over the course of that year, I put it up in a couple of other festivals in the short form, but with with a little bit of rewriting and and retooling. And then spent... Three or four months expanding it from 20 to almost 60 minutes. And then we've been workshopping and developing it. And so it's kind of evolved from the stuff about shoes and my worldview and self-help and my perspective on that. And it's become more, I think, about storytelling, my experiences living in New York, kind of observational. I don't know if I would call it observational comedy, but perhaps there's a little bit of that in it. And a little bit of um, taking the temperature on the current 
political situation in the U.S., which is, it's insane to me that we're here, given the fact that it's 2013. And I remember these conversations happening in the Clinton administration, and they're happening again. And what is happening with the way that women are being perceived in the media and politics, it's just, it's kind of atrocious, but also there's a lot of fuel there. <laughs> there's a lot of fodder. And things, things, I don't know how things feel here because I haven't really, I've spent a little bit of time over the past year back and forth in Toronto, but I can't really gauge how politics feel here. I just know that in the States, things feel roiling. Things are so polarized. There's so much ugliness and hate, particularly with the language surrounding women, people of color, people of different sexual orientations and genders. And it's, it just feels like things are really at a boiling point there. So. That has definitely influenced the way that the writing has gone in the last few months and the, the sort of recent changes, I think. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot about shoes in the show. There's a lot about shoes. But there's also, I think, it, I'm come even though, you know, I might be talking about one thing, I'm coming at it from all of this perspective, you know. So I think it's fun. It's not, I try to keep it light. It's not too heavy. But there is a an undercurrent of that in it. The title... Mm-hmm. Is obviously a, a sort of riff on the the Doctor Strange love thing. Yeah, I'm curious though about the the keep worrying part of that. I, I don't want to still you know get too mired in the the kind of intellectual nature of the play because it's not just a lecture. You know, I do think it's a conversation. It's lighthearted storytelling, but I think part of the 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 idea behind the I don't know if I had to give it like a tagline or like a thesis, it's that we don't have to be content. It's like okay to acknowledge that there are problems in the world. And can we find joy in that? Can we find a way to experience the world and life while acknowledging the fact that we're maybe not all okay all the time? That's that's totally fine to not be okay all the time. So hence the keep worrying because I worry a lot. <laughs> and I'm trying to sort of find a way to make peace with that. And I think that part of the reason that I can't or that a lot of people can't is that we're told if we worry there's something wrong. Or that we don't feel okay all the time. That must mean there's something wrong with us or with our lives. And and I'm sort of trying to make peace with just, you know, breathing through the the worry. Plus, I just, I like broken expectations in theater. So a lot of people have written me back about the show and have not written keep worrying. They've written stop worrying. Because it's like, you know, you have a sense of what you think that thing is. So I like little little bits of broken expectation and little nods to and references to to other things it's interesting because the the original title of the play before this and this this is going to be the premiere of the full-length version of the play in toronto so but the uh the 20-minute version the first version was not entitled my high-heeled life It, it had a totally different title it i think encapsulated more of the meaning of the play perhaps but it wasn't it had nothing to do with high heels. It didn't really indicate that as a topic. And it is a big part of the show. I mean, it's certainly, I would say it's the framework with which everything else is discussed. And so I think part of the reason behind choosing the title and just putting it out there is that it's kind of cute and fun. And also I'm hoping to attract, I would love to attract a broad audience, but I also think that there are certain women who this show could really appeal to that might not just come and see a play. But if it's a, a play about this, they, they might be more inclined. So it's like, why not put it out there and just kind of own that? And that I'm, you know, I think the play can appeal to a pretty broad demographic if they know how to listen. 
But I know, I know it can appeal to a very specific demographic that might be interested by that title. And I'm terrible at sort of that, the marketing angle of things, but this was the one thing that I think maybe hopefully works. Hopefully, I don't know, we'll see. This is all a big experiment, so we'll see how it goes. I definitely think, you know, for example, like my husband is a big sci-fi person and it took me a long time to just sit down and like let him convince me to watch Battlestar Galactica. I was like not having it. This is before we were married. I was like, I'm not having it. I just no interest. And then he finally sat me down. It was like, oh, and I was transfixed. And it was like, this was, you know, back before we had internet TV in a big way. And it was like, we have to be home. It's Friday night. We have to like go on sci-fi and watch Battlestar. Like I need to see what happens. And so, you know, I understand definitely having a niche title can be really alienating, but it'll get the niche people in and then hopefully (laughs) expand a little bit to a broader crowd. And then there's the legs on the poster. So (laughs) tell me about the experience of doing uh, a one woman show. Have have you done a lot of yourself on stage? No, no, no. I mean, I think my my real money spot as an actor I would say is classical work so you know Shakespeare and Chekhov well Chekhov's not really classical classical but I do a lot of Jane Austen adaptations for whatever reason and this was the one part of it was like you know the thing in the curriculum of our training that I was like oh I don't want to do that oh god I don't want to do that and I still don't really know how people like you know, like John Leguizamo or like the people who do character based solo shows where they're playing a million different characters. I don't know how they do that. Or like Anna Devere Smith. I think she's phenomenal. I uh, maybe at some point will try that. I, I certainly tried it in that first failed attempt at a solo show, but it's really different to me. This is, it's really, really different um, because it's a monologue. I mean, it's just, it's me playing me talking for an hour. It's a really different way to work. It's a really different way to rehearse. It's a different, way to converse with a director. I think he's after something really, I've, I've worked with this director in a number of plays and, and our process has been very different on this because it's really just about opening it up and freeing it up and making it conversational as much as possible and non-formal. So it's different. I mean, it's, I've never done stand-up, but I think it's almost closer to stand-up than to any kind of acting I've ever done. So that, yeah. And it's, it's scary. It's definitely scary. But to me, it might be scarier if I was doing a, like a play playing a character. Like a friend of mine is doing a, another friend's show and it's an Irish playwright and it's, he is playing a character. It's just a, a play for one man. And the thing is, I mean, that's somebody else's writing and it's a very specific story. There's narrative and it's an hour of you having to stay focused and on it. Whereas if I get lost in my show, I can kind of, you know, Figure it out. Figure it out. Because I'm just talking with the audience, to the audience. So one of the reasons I wanted to write a show about high heels when I was living in Seattle, uh, and this was, you know, five, six years ago, is that I love Seattle and I love the people in Seattle, but I think, you know, they're all going to hate me for saying this, but Seattleites, I mean, if you ever watch Portlandia, there is certainly a kind of particular type of West Coast mentality that says you are only a down-to-earth, practical, responsible member of society if you fill in the blank, if you recycle, if you 
shop at the co-op if you wear sensible shoes. And I was just kind of tired of being treated like a bimbo because I like to wear very, and I am the first to admit it, they're, they're totally impractical. They're ridiculous. They cause me problems when walking, although not as many as people who don't practice in them. So, you know, I, I know that these things are not the most down to earth practical choices that one could make, but I don't have a drug problem. I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't smoke. So, you know, let me have a little vice, right? And so it sort of came out of, you know, the way I was being treated or perceived when entering a room was different than what would happen the second I opened my mouth. And I was interested in investigating that a little bit, you know, and finding a way to, again, sort of not apologize for for being, for that contradiction. And I think that, you know, this is sort of my experience with it, but it goes many different ways. You know, I live in, in New York, I live in a, a neighborhood with a lot of really tough guys, like really, really tough guys, like a hard neighborhood. And your perspective totally shifts when you see one of them hold the door open for someone or pick up his daughter from school. And, you know, what is it about seeing a, you know, a big guy with a lot of tattoos and, and a shaved head or, you know, whatever, chains, whatever you want to say, like whatever stereotypical thing and what I assume that means about him. And then I see him behave or I see him do something or I listen to him speak and my understanding totally shifts. And so that's sort of what I'm interested in, in investigating along with finding the things that bring you joy, finding the things that your personal quirks and then not having to apologize for them just because they might not be something that everybody's into. And I, that's, I think, I, I hope, I hope that the, the broad takeaway. I hope. <laughs> so you are in the solo room. I am. Yeah. For this show, I think it's going to be perfect because it's, it's all direct address and I want to be able to see the audience at least in, in some way and have access and it's a smaller house it's only it only seats 60 so that's nice i mean it's the more intimate the less sort of presentationally it can be the better i think for this yeah and i'm excited to be at the tarragon it's like it feels sort of like oh it's like an institution <laughs> for sure sure tell me a bit about working with this director mentor you use the word for him as yeah. well yeah so I took a class with, and um, this is Rod Sabalas. I took a class with him at Equity Showcase when I was right out of, out of university. Look, I first moved here. It was like the first thing I did because, you know, my acting teacher in university had said, like, if you're going to take a few years off before you go to grad school, like, you need to keep your training up. And it was like, okay, get a day job, get an apartment. Like, I moved here. I mean, I was, I still don't know how I did it. I moved here with a suitcase. I knew one person who I hadn't seen since I was 15. I did that thing and, like, you know, worked at, I worked at a tuxedo store all summer in Vancouver to save enough money to come to Toronto. It was like so cliche. So once I got settled, I took this class and we kind of hit it off and I auditioned for a show he was directing and he didn't have a part for me, but was like, do you want to be my assistant? And I'm like, ah, I don't want to direct. Like I did it in college. I'm no good at it. I don't like it. And he was like, I know you don't want to direct. I want you to watch. And I want, I need an excuse to have you in the room. So be my assistant and you can just watch. And so I did that and it was this wonderful company doing After the Fall and I learned a lot watching them. And then I, I assisted him a couple of other times over the course of a few years. And then he coached me to get into grad school and I did a couple of summer Shakespeare's with him up in Brampton. And then we kind of have kept in touch and he's 
been a really great supporter of my work and a really good teacher and now a really wonderful collaborator. So that's been, and we haven't worked together since 2007. No, 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 earlier, 2006, five or six. So this is the first time and it just happened that he was producing something and I've been working on this show and, and so now we're, we're having these opportunities to work together, which is really great. And I think when you find people that speak your language, and I think it helped that coincidentally, and I didn't really know this until I was already in the class with him, like he had spent a lot of time working uh, and teaching on the West Coast, which is where I'm from. And we had, we didn't directly know people, although when I went to Seattle, I did end up having contact with people that he did know directly. But we had a, a sort of similar vocabulary and also a similar like, oh, I know of her and you know of him. And like he knew of my sort of big influential university acting teacher. Like, the, I mean, the person who influenced me the most. He was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember hearing about her when I was in the Bay Area. And so there was that connection. And I think that helps. I mean, the one thing that's hard, I think, about being here is that I didn't go to school here. And I find that I don't find this a super insular city in the way that I think, you know, other places are. Seattle is definitely. But I do find it's like, oh, everybody knows each other. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> my high-heeled life or how I learned to keep worrying and love my stilettos. Part of the 2013 Toronto Fringe Festival. Catherine, thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.